TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. And now, you're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Always a privilege, always a treat to have Jason Greenwell with us. He's a lawyer. He was executive vice president and chief legal officer to Donald Trump and the Trump Organization. During his presidency, he was advisor in Israel. He also was appointed as the assistant to the president, special representative for international negotiations, and very much involved in the Abrahamic Accords. And right now, he's helping companies both in Israel and America navigate the Gulf, and he travels back and forth uh, to Saudi Arabia and other Gulf countries. So, Jason, good to have you back. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. How's life after being in the White House? Uh, well, I'm enjoying being with my wife and kids. This, as you know, is a very unusual time with COVID. We spend most of the time at home. But as you mentioned, I do travel frequently to the Gulf area. So I kind of have it uh, good in all directions. I'm with uh, my wife and kids after having been separated from them largely for three years, which is amazing. But I also get to do business uh, in an area that I have grown to love. What would you say was your biggest accomplishment during the Trump administration when you were there? I think it would fall under the category of re-educating people about the conflict, both the talking points that people have used for decades that are unlikely to ever bring peace between Israel and the Palestinians, but more importantly, and the Abraham Accords that President Trump was able to create uh, showed the world that indeed the Israeli-Palestinian conflict could be separated from the Israel-Arab conflict and we could resolve the other conflicts even if the Palestinians are unwilling to, in good faith, negotiate with Israel and continue their intransigence and not uh, try to solve the problem between them and Israel. I disappointed a lot of American Jews, with the exception of the Orthodox community, didn't really appreciate what President Trump did, including with the Abrahamic Accords? I am disappointed. I think President Trump has been an incredible leader, was an incredible leader for the Jewish community, certainly for the state of Israel. I think that sometimes people don't let politics get out of their way of seeing the truth. I understand that some people are uncomfortable with his policies. Some people are uncomfortable with how he speaks and how he tweets. But we do have to learn who our friends are. We have to learn how to call balls and strikes. And when you have a leader of any kind who is doing the kinds of things that President Trump did, you have to recognize that, respect it, and and show gratitude, basically. Are you still in touch with the president? I am, not frequently, but I I speak to him from time to time. Now, you mentioned the Abrahamic Accords, and the fact is that the Palestinian, if they don't want to get involved in dealing with Israel, there's still a life out there where the Gulf countries can make peace with Israel. Can that be changed in the Biden administration? Because I'm not sure how committed they are to the Abrahamic Accords. And personally, I am distressed that money is being released unconditionally to the Palestinian authorities, might be in violation of the Taylor Force Act, and even groups like UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Welfare Association, which President Trump cut off their funds during his tenure, is now being reinstated and would have promised we're not going to be anti-Semitic anymore. These are very important questions that you're raising, and I would encourage you to encourage your audience to speak up and out and loud and often about the funds that are being released to the Palestinian Authority, to the Palestinians, to UNRWA in particular. UNRWA is a corrupt organization. It has an ever-expanding group of beneficiaries of people that are, in my view, and it was the Trump or the Trump administration's view, misidentified as refugees. 
The UNRWA um, does not lead to better lives for Palestinians. It keeps these Palestinians who are in these wretched camps uh, as political pawns, and they have no hope for a future with UNRWA as it exists. UNRWA is constantly running out of money. It is a terrible use of U.S. taxpayer funds, and a different solution needs to be found, especially since a peace agreement between Israel and the Palestinians is not on the immediate horizon. Uh, in addition to that, the funds that are being released by the Biden administration to the Palestinians, let's just assume for a moment that they don't violate Taylor Force. Obviously, that needs to be checked very, very carefully. But I, I assume they're smart enough to understand that they have to live within the bounds of the law. That kind of release of funds is also a bad use of U.S. taxpayer money. It does not lead to peace. It does not really lead to better Palestinian lives. And if anything, I think it drives peace further behind simply because it puts a Band-Aid on a bigger problem. So we have to stop hiding our heads in the sand and pretending the conflict can be sort of smoothed over by throwing some dollars their way, and instead tell them that until they're serious about making peace and show up at the table in good faith, we should not be releasing any funds to them. And the money only goes for corrupt individuals and the Palestinian Authority. You mentioned UNRWA, and just to bring home the point, Jason, uh, UNRWA is the United Nations Relief Welfare Associations, and they're really created to perpetuate refugees, which goes against the United Nations Charter, because the, every, after every conflict, the United Nations is supposed to reduce the refugees. Only one exception, Palestinian Arabs, where they increase them. They don't get them out of the refugee camps. And furthermore, UNRWA is working with Hamas. They fought against Israel in the 1967-day war. So they are a terrorist organization, and they're also brainwashing and educating Palestinians in hatred of Israelis and Jews and the West. So I'm not sure why we're funding them, and I agree with you. We have to really speak up loudly and clearly on this issue. All important points, and I hope that you get the word out more and more. Do you think that the President Biden is, will be undermining the Abrahamic Accords? Is it, is it in jeopardy? What are you hearing from the Gulf states? You're going back and forth. What are you hearing from UAE or Saudi Arabia or the other countries? I don't think President Biden will undermine the Abraham Accords. He may not focus on them. And to be fair to him, he certainly has a lot on his plate in this country with COVID and the economy. But I don't see him undermining it. In the region itself, people are particularly excited. In the UAE, for example, I travel there with my I keep on. I did not do that prior to the Abraham Accords, and people are just so incredibly excited about what the Abraham Accords represents, the connection to Israel, the connection to Judaism. Uh, Saudi Arabia is uh, different. I think they're on the right path. I think that over time we're going to see movement with them, but I think we need to be patient. They are rolling out a lot of changes to their society, to their country, and I think they're a very important ally to the United States. I think they recognize that they are in the same position as Israel when it comes to the dangers of the Middle East, in particular the Iran regime that foments terrorism, that obviously poses a tremendous nuclear threat to the regime. I don't think Saudi will be a friend ultimately. The same with Bahrain. They are excited. Uh, Morocco, not in the Middle East, but certainly very excited. And I think we're going to see great things come from the Abraham Accords and from all the countries uh, in the region, obviously including Israel, but Saudi, UAE, hopefully Qatar, Bahrain, maybe Oman one day, and Morocco. Talk to me about Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is undergoing dramatic changes. I think the crown prince has a vision, multiple visions of where Saudi Arabia ought to be. I've spent a great deal of time with him. The vision is exciting. It's energizing. The young people, the young population there is excited about it. When I sit with my Saudi friends in Saudi Arabia, 
And I hear college students saying that while they liked studying in the United States, they're actually happy being back home, taking university classes on Zoom because they feel the changes that are already taking place and they want to take part in it. I think that's a testament to what the Crown Prince is doing. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. I gave it to where the Yarmulke in Saudi Arabia like you do in UAE. I didn't when I went in January. That was my choice. Uh, I am hoping to do it on my next trip. And by the way, if I don't, it has nothing to do with Saudi Arabia. I think that they would be perfectly fine with me doing it. It would be because there might be some rogue person there who uh, maybe uh, doesn't like Jews. And uh, I would be concerned about that. But with respect to Saudi Arabia itself, the leadership, the country, I wouldn't be concerned about it. And I'm not sure I would have said that several years ago. I think there have been very significant changes in Saudi Arabia over the past number of years. Are they taking note, the UAE is, and I know you're involved in consulting companies and bringing business from Israel and America, and I think UAE has benefited greatly. From what I'm hearing, there's a lot of investment that's going on there. Has that same thing happened in Saudi Arabia, and is, is that government counting on that same thing? Uh, I don't think it's happened yet in Saudi Arabia, and I hope it will happen. In the UAE, I think that because of COVID, things have you know, not gone as quickly as one could imagine. So the excitement is there. And for example, in December, you had reportedly anywhere from 70,000 to 90,000 Israelis visiting Dubai. All of that is great. I think that the two societies and cultures will uh, need to learn each other's ways. They're different. Um, but I think that as long as it's a two-way street and both sides are benefiting, we're going to see tremendous things happening from the Abraham Accords in the UAE. Are there some bumps along the road in the UAE, for example, or Saudi Arabia? I haven't seen anything noteworthy. There are often, you know, hiccups along the way. That's to be expected based on countries that haven't been dealing with each other for decades. But uh, I have only seen positive interactions or small bumps that get rectified pretty quickly. Now, in your dealings in bringing Israeli companies and American companies to UAE, for example, could you give us an idea what some of those companies are like, what are they looking to do, and let's look at some of the things on the ground. Uh, many of them are high-tech companies, not just in the security space, but elsewhere. There are also travel opportunities. There are product opportunities. Uh, I have a whole gamut of companies that are eager to do business in the Gulf, a region they've never been able to do business with before. Um, on the UAE side, they too have their own companies that they would like to promote in Israel and beyond, artificial intelligence, high-tech security as well. Uh, and again, I stress it has to be a two-way street. If Israeli companies go to the UAE and try to raise money, and that's the only benefit, uh, I don't know that the deal will last as it should. I think everybody has to respect each other, respect the fact that both sides have a tremendous amount to offer each other, not just money, not just investment but other things as well. And let's also remember that the UAE and eventually hopefully some of these other countries, including Bahrain, can be a great jumping off point for Israel into other parts further east, into countries that Israel also has not yet been able to deal with. And I would assume that with the Biden administration tilt towards Iran, providing them money and wants to bring back the accords, I, I would assume that's probably would strengthen the ties between Saudi Arabia, UAE, Bahrain, and some of the other countries with Israel to be a bulwark against Iran. I think that's right. I think everyone is nervous right now in the region. I'm nervous here in the United States of America after having seen what's happening in Europe last week. You know, during the campaign and at the beginning of the Biden administration, President Biden and his team were talking about a longer and stronger JCPOA, the Iran deal, so to speak. 
it was vague as to what they meant. But now what we're hearing is, uh, you know, please let us get back into compliance. We have we have meetings going on in Vienna. We aren't even in the meeting itself. I mean, how weak do we look by not being in the meeting and allowing Europeans to sort of be the go-between between us and just trying to get back into the deal as opposed to trying to make it longer and stronger? So I do have serious concerns. I think relying on the Europeans to negotiate with, for us is a mistake. The European needs with respect to Iran are vastly different. They're largely interested in the economy. They're not directly in the line of fire the way the United States and our Gulf allies and Israel are. And I think this is a very misguided approach the Biden administration is taking. Oh, I agree with you. And unfortunately, they want to go full steam ahead. The facts on the ground, notwithstanding that they're cheating and sponsors of terrorism that doesn't seem to play a bit much of a role as long as they will get back into the deal and that's what they're looking to do but my question too is you mentioned before you feel safe walking around uae you mentioned wearing even a kippah from time to time we see that iran has been trying to do some terrorist deed in the uae are you concerned about that because uh, now that the pressure is pressuring is is growing greatly on iran and with the new i guess uh quote-unquote, electrical fire in one of their facilities. I'm just concerned Iran's going to try to take revenge against Israelis and Jews around the world. I think that is definitely a risk anywhere, meaning this is not UAE-focused. Iran foments terrorism around the world. I think we are all at risk, and not just Jews and not just Israelis. I think Americans and other countries are as well, and that's why I'm terribly concerned about the talks in Vienna. What's happening in Vienna is what I call ostrich diplomacy, what other people have called that. We bury our heads in the sand. We pretend these problems don't exist. We think signing a deal like this that kicks the can down the road for a period of time gets rid of the problem. We ignore the cheating of the Iranian regime and pretend that the deal actually makes sense. And uh, we ignore the terrorism, not just potential isolated terror attacks, but also what the Iranian regime is doing with Hamas in Gaza against Israel, what's happening with Hezbollah in Lebanon, Yemen, the Houthi um, terrorists, uh, although the Biden administration removed the terrorist designation, but the Houthi terrorists where they attack Saudi Arabia, all of these are problems of Iran, and all of them are things we need to be concerned with all over the world. Before I let you go, I know you go back and forth uh, to the Middle East and to the Gulf states, including Saudi Arabia. I know in UAE you have a lot of kosher culinary delights, as he was even, I understand, speaking to Rabbi Abadi, three Pesach programs there in Saudi Arabia. Any kosher restaurants yet? Will there be a Pesach program in Saudi Arabia, as far as you can see in the near future? Uh, no kosher restaurants yet that I'm aware of. Uh, I don't know that the Pesach programs are ready to <laughs> rock and roll. However, I, I would encourage people to visit. I think Saudi Arabia is on an upward trajectory. I think there's a, a lot of opportunity there, but I do think we need to be patient. And over time, I think we will see those things happen. Are there any Jews living in Saudi Arabia now? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure there are Jews that live there. I just don't know if they're open and I don't know if there's an open community. But let's not forget, the UAE community was also not so open only a short while ago. And look what's happened now. Right. Things are changing and exploding and you're going back and forth. So, Jason Rima, thank you for your role in bringing about the Abrahamic Accords and for representing the Jewish community during the Trump administration and for your continuing trying to build business and bridges between Israel and Americans and the Gulf states. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And we're going to be right back. Don't go away. Stay tuned. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. 
This concludes TalkLine's Jewish broadcasts on radio for tonight. For continuous Jewish programs, please go now to TalkLineNetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or JewishPodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the TalkLineNetwork.com. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.